Hello and welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger and I am very lucky to be joined today by Kate Perry of Specialised Women's Racing, fresh off the uh, tour of King Valley. G'day, Kate. Oh, hi. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily fresh, but I'm here. <laughs> it's good to be back. And Stu Shaw, uh, making his podcast debut, or well, at least on this podcast, at least, uh, from N-Swiss. Uh, Stu, g'day. Hey, g'day, Jamie. How you going? Yeah, doing doing well. I th- I, I'll I'll speak for myself. I thoroughly enjoyed the tour of King Valley. Um, what was it, what was your guys' experience of of the racing down there? Um, yeah, look, I guess I'll jump in. I think um, it was probably one of the one of the toughest King Valley tours, which is probably saying a lot, given that the naturally the the race unfolds. It's a pretty um, challenging tour anyway. But I think uh, the sun was shining this year, which was a lot more than we can say for last year, which was a welcome. Welcome addition and um, some good solid racing and some exciting racing. So it was a good weekend away, I think, full stop. Well, yeah, we'll get to your race because it was a hard race for you in particular with the way the things <laughs> panned out. But uh, yeah. uh, Stu, how, how did you find it? Yeah, just it was just really nice to be back racing, actually. Um, that's my first race in the NRS for the year and it's my 12th year racing NRS. So it's... Um, yeah, I forgot how much fun it was. So, it was, yeah, it was good just to tap back into the scene. To say your experience would be an understatement, uh, Stu, I mean, obviously a past winner of the overall NRS title. Um, give me a reminder of what year that was, if possible. Uh, I think most of my competitors were still in primary school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I won it in 2007, so a decade ago. Well, yeah, I mean, plenty's plenty's gone under the bridge since then. Um, it, well, in in particular, it was there's been the recent revelation of your former well, former sponsor, I suppose, uh, have, running into a bit of troubles with his current team, uh, the Drapak and now Cannondale Drapak, uh, on rocky footing at the moment. Um, what's your what's your what's your opinion of the of the scenario at the moment? Um, well, I, I don't know too much in detail about the scenario, but I do know that. Um, I was lucky to be paid by Drapak for seven years and not once in that whole time was I ever paid a second late. So I'm pretty sure if whatever Michael can do, he will do his utmost to keep his end of the bargain up. So, yeah, I think from that perspective, they're, they're lucky that they've got such a, um, you know, a stable sponsor uh, on that, you know, on that part. But to make up the, the loss if, of Garmin is, is a, big, a big step. But, uh, you know, at least they've got that stability. Yeah, and a central tenant of the Drapak, um, of the Drapak cycling teams has always been um, education alongside um, racing and you know improving and bettering yourself. And Kate, uh, I know you'd have something to say on this subject, uh, having got your education and set yourself up before going into um, pursuing cycling seriously. Um, I appreciate the yeah. opportunity to do that at a team. Uh, yeah, of course, definitely. I think any sporting team that is looking out for the welfare of their athletes, um, be that education or just life after sport, I think is a sign of a, a well-oiled machine. And uh, I think a team that would obviously support their riders both on and off the bike. But um, yeah, look, for me, I think a female cycling compared to male cycling is, is completely different kettle of fish in that, like, if you look at the average age of a lot of the women, they're, they're older. So um, you know, the mean age means that you are able to go off and, and give yourself a, 
an education and a career, I guess, so you could say to set you up for, um, for later. Whereas I think with the men, obviously the, the demand is from quite a young age. So I do feel for them in that um, a lot of them, you know, you see the, the natural story of them necessarily say dropping out of school, following their dreams. Like if you don't make the under 23 team, your life's over kind of thing. So I think, um, yeah, look, obviously if you can pursue your sporting career in the same time as developing your, your professional career, that's, it's a huge, huge plus. But I think, um, yeah, I can personally say I'm fortunate that I've still been able to, to follow my cycling, um, I guess, dreams and goals and training and everything throughout um, juggling full-time work and an education and I think it just comes down to, to how much you really want it I think there's never going to be one road necessarily better than the other but if you're you're motivated you'll make it work and that's part of the beauty of the NRS we see a bunch of these different stories coming together and we'll maybe we'll see some of them at the Tour King Valley okay we'll uh, take a quick break and come back with that back with the Tour of King Valley uh First, what was what were your impressions of the course? I mean, it's been fairly similar now for the last uh, few years. Uh, does it does it offer an opportunity for you know all riders to have a go, or does that time trial at the start kind of restrict it a bit? Um, I know Kate might have a different opinion on on that, having uh, won the opening time trial. But uh, what's what was the thinking there? I think it's a challenging um, course, definitely. And it was funny. I was actually I ran into Scott McGorry after the the third stage when he was um, getting ready for his, I think there was some sort of charity event that he was hosting. And anyway, he was like, you know, oh, I haven't heard anything about the racing hazard unfolding. And he was like, I think that just put some more dirt in there. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, having just <laughs> ridden, ridden stage three, I was like, I think there's definitely enough dirt in there. But I think um, overall it's a, it's a good tour in that there's a lot of different aspects to it. Um, I think you definitely saw that in our race that yes, starts off with a TT and you know we were fortunate that that Kate got second in that and that definitely did set her up for GC but you know you look at the likes of Macy Stewart and a couple of the other women and you know they they had a good TT they didn't have a great TT and yet they still came out on top so I think the TT is great in that it, it definitely sets it up and you know the men obviously with Joe Cooper he was always going to go out flying and you know with such a, a strong team he's going to be hard to beat there but I think um, the dirt definitely plays a huge factor. Luck is a huge factor, as you saw in our race, um, and anything can happen. We threw in some crosswinds there on stage four, and that that probably was the biggest deciding factor in our entire tour. So I don't really think the course um, necessarily dictates the outcome of the race. Yeah, look, I'd agree with Kate. Um, and we probably resonate to the exact opposite end of the, 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 the racing, but I, but I agree that there, you know there's enough in it for everyone to make the race. And I think at the end of the day, um, at least in the men's race, um, you know, Joe Cooper and Isoway were the strongest team there and they, and they won. So it, was, it wasn't the, just the time trial. They, uh, they were still the strongest team there. So, um, you know, it's, um, there was plenty of racing to be done. They could do with a bit more dirt. <laughs> so, but, but we, we, actually, um, we actually worked a little bit before the race and we... Um, we actually didn't have any punctures, uh, any mechanicals on the dirt at all. So we, I actually think it's something that, you know, it's a skill that you can learn to improve on as well. So um, as a whole team, we didn't have any, any incidents at all um, that day. So I think it's, the more we race on it, the more experience you get. It's, it's a learned skill. So, um, you know, 
talk to the mountain bikers yeah. and some oh. of those people. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there, um, Stu. But I think one of the, the comments, I guess I wouldn't, here I am saying no more dirt, but maybe I guess the dirt section's a bit closer to the finish. I think that was a common common theme amongst some of the riders, Jamie, that, you know, we have such a demanding stage and yet you've got 30 k's of, of flat road effectively. So, you know, if you're trying to put a lot of damage in the, into the stage early on, most of the time it does come back together relatively, um, I guess, strongly. So, yeah, maybe maybe some dirt closer to the finish should be pretty exciting. Yeah, it might be hard to move the dirt, but we can certainly move the finish. Oh, um, Scott McGorry assures me that there's plenty of dirt closer to the finish, so, so we'll see. <laughs> um, well, if not, we can get Scott out there digging up the Yeah, brother. he can do a recon for us. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, well, we'll just go through stage by stage now. Um, obviously, the time trial, fairly straightforward. There's not too much to say about that, but um, worth reminiscing, Kate. Uh, Kate, of course, took out the win there in that first uh, stage, the nine-kilometer time trial there, taking out the win nine seconds ahead of her teammate, Kate uh, McIlroy, and 15 seconds ahead of the young superstar there, Madeline Fashnacht, who was, yeah, 15 seconds down and, yeah, looking pretty dangerous at that stage. Uh, Kate, what was, the, what was the experience like out on the bike? Yeah, look, it, I, uh, in all honesty, I've d- obviously done a lot of TTs and it was just one of those days for me that I think everything just fell into fell into place. Like, you know, from the warm-up, I was pretty cool, calm and collected before the start. Um, I, I hadn't necessarily done anything different. It was just one of those days where I just had good good sensations in the legs and, you know, I'd done a recon with Kate um, earlier the day before and, you know, we knew that obviously being such a short TT, you didn't necessarily have to pace it as such. It was just a matter of going out. You looked down at my uh, my numbers at one point and thought, oh, I might be going a little bit too hard here. But again, I just sort of went off feel and um, obviously, yeah, it paid off. I had a really good run and, and Kate did as well. It was, yeah, we jokingly said to each other, oh, let's just try and go one, two, hey? Yeah, let's, let's see how that goes. And, you know, we uh, we managed to pull it off, which was a very, very good start to the, the tour for our team. But overall, it was a, a fast day, that's for sure. Yeah, um, it didn't quite split things up entirely on GC. There were still plenty of riders in with a shout after that. Um, maybe not so much in the men. Um, it came out came out to uh, Joe Cooper absolutely smashing it um, on that first stage. He averaged over 50 kilometres an hour for the nine kilometres and finished 12 seconds ahead of Sean Lake, um, who himself um, finished six, a further 16 seconds ahead of uh, third place Morgan Smith. And after that, it was the rest of the field coming in, you know, fairly consistently losing a bit of time from there on in uh, Stu. <laughs> um, yeah. Joe Cooper, first race back, and he hasn't lost anything, has he? No, it was impressive. He, he's good. It's a good, I mean, it's a skill. It's something he works on. Um, and I think uh, it's probably underestimated how good he is at a world level at that skill. So, yeah, respect to him for that. Um, there was a few other good rides too. There was a, um, in his second NRS race ever, Ollie Smith did a, a fantastic ride to come in fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, like I said, only his second ever NRS tour ever. And he's, it's his first year riding. So fifth place in NRS time trial. Um, I think he was 12th at the Grafton. So, um, yeah, like that's a, that's a pretty big performance, you know, fresh to the sport. So he was riding for Cobra 9. Mm, yeah, he's a big unit, that, that young kid. And, yeah. yeah, he was up there as well on the GC. I think he finished second to your teammate, Liam McGinnis, in the under-23 classification there. And, yeah, certainly one to keep an eye on for the future, um, maybe in those flatter races, because, yeah, he does look like a powerhouse on the bike. 
so the GC was uh, was set in in a way at that point. I mean, you had uh, Iceway um, Iceway Sports with you know an advantage going into the second stage there. Um, so we'll stay with the men for the hour because I've let it in already. Um, go on to control the race in that in that uh, second part of the race after it split up going over that gravel climb KOM there. Um, first of all, what do you think of Drapak, um, Drapak's tactics, uh, Drapak Pat's tactics going over that climb there? Because they seem to attack every climb with just 100% energy. Yeah, I think, I think what happened uh, was as we hit the climb, um, Sean Lake punctured. Um, so immediately Isoway didn't want to drive the pace. Um, Ollie Smith also punctured. And then going over the top, uh, the race was really on. But then uh, I think Matt Rice might have had a mechanical. So all of a sudden you lost those three riders out of it. And it, uh, after we got down the descent, there was only about 40 of us left. And the impetus just came off. A brake went away and the whole race just stopped. So, so yeah, Drapak uh, Patsvedge were definitely looking to animate it. But once, once they lost their, one of their main riders, uh, they really shut down from, uh, I'm pretty sure it was him. I was just blurring past him on the descent. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it certainly changed the race. And that really let that, that break go. And it took a long time for uh, Sean to come back. And that's why our race was so nullified. And um, I realised quite early that it was going to come back to be a bunch sprint. So we just uh, we had one in the break and we just uh, set ourselves for that, for that bunch sprint. Yeah, what, what's, what's the communication process when you're out on the road there? Because um, you're obviously acting as team captain and with the most experience in, in the bunch <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what's your role in the peloton? Yeah, well, it's, it's quite complicated because I coach a few of the athletes um, in, the, in the race and in my team. Um, and I'm not looking, you know, I'm, there's not many Masters 3 riders kicking around uh, in the NRS field. And I'm not looking to necessarily uh, get the, the, the young guys to ride for me. So um, I just I went around the team and asked, uh, you know, who, who thinks they're up for, for a bunch sprint? We've all got over the climb. And... Um, just have to come up with a bit of a plan on our feet and then assign some roles. Um, and to everyone's credit, um, you know, we, we, we really wanted to try and give some opportunities to, to some guys that aren't um, traditionally sprinters. Um, so Liam McGuinness hasn't been ever contested a, a proper bunch sprint like that. Um, and we put um, Smythe behind him because he really wanted to have a chance to get a result. So, um, and uh, all the other boys just got around him and uh, we, we uh, yeah, I think we did a pretty good job with uh, nailing that one. Yeah, um, Alex was saying after the stage that um, you'd really set the pace high going into that final kilometre there, there. Was the thinking that you'd get through that, um, you'd get to that final little corner there first and really set the guys up? Yeah, really it's just about maintaining control and composure, staying collected as a group. Um, I mean, uh, Ryan Kavanagh did a fantastic job just holding us in position. And then we had a... A young guy as his first ever NRS tour. He just turned 17. Um, and he, he actually delivered us to that last corner and moved us up in front of Isoway and uh, up next to the Drapak Pats Veg. Um, and then from the last corner, I just took it from a kilometre out to about 400 um, and dropped Liam and Smythe off to uh, get the glory. Well, and that they did. Um... It was interesting there. Um, there's a video, if you go back and look at the Twitter feed, I took a video there of that final corner 
and it, it was very well done by you guys. Um, Lim McGinnis was on the front going through that sort of S-bend there at the end, and then he peeled off to the side that Toby Orchard was on, and Toby then had to go around him, forcing him wider on the corner, whilst um, Alex Smythe got that perfect line through there, and after that, it was just far too much, um, far too much uh, room to make up for uh, Toby there. Yeah, and look, I think that's one of the things that um, you know we, I've really spoke to about Liam and some of the other other young guys is just learning how to to be a bike racer, and um, you know, like in all the sort of coaching and all the different sort of work we can do about data and all the rest of that, there's still that art of how do you win a bike race and how do you take it from just pure numbers into pure performance. So, um, and I was really proud of what they, those guys did. And, and, and three of the six of us had never ridden together before. Um, so it was really an experienced group. So, but they nailed it. So yeah, really, really proud of them. Great. Um, though we're possibly skipping over my favorite bit of the stage, which was uh, when the initial break had gone with Ben Hill, Paddy Burt, um, a few others in there as well. Um, there was a wombat that ran across the road and almost took out the break. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get my camera out in time to grab a snap of it, but that will be for, uh, forever indelibly put in my memory, um, a wombat almost taking out the breakaway. Um, Kate, were there any wombats on the course for you? That's the key question. Uh, no, we didn't have any wombats on the course. We did have a kangaroo yesterday, which almost took out the chase group at one point. But um, I think the general consensus of the our racing was the amount of magpies that were swooping uh, down there. But quite aggressive at times. And it seemed to be that the, the less of you there were, the more magpies there were. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, look, no no wombats to mix up our, our stage well, it was our stage three. It was the, uh, cause we had the crit in the afternoon in stage two, which still counted for us. Um, I think one of the few times it pays to not have 150 people in a Peloton, we only had 50. So they did actually, um, count our, our criterion towards the overall GC, which, um, yeah, which mixed things up a bit and, and opened it up again, um, after the TT, but the dirt section, so the dirt stage, stage three, started, um, stride and Nero definitely, Delivered um, in terms of we had an early breakaway, which we were quite happy to let go. And then it was definitely drilling it up the climb um, to basically the plan was to, to hit all the dirt sections on the front for us, you know, because we, we definitely, after we'd heard what the, some feedback from the men as to which lines to take, the, the general consensus was that you needed to be up the front, obviously. So that was, that was the aim. And I think we did that pretty well. Um, I unfortunately found myself in no man's land after the climb in that I'd, you know, done a, done a lot of work on the actual climb to set the pace nice and high. And I sort of paid the price afterwards, but um, yeah, it was good, good, hard racing by, by all the women. Um, I think we saw all the teams that we predicted in the, in our previous podcast, Jamie, they definitely delivered in terms of what we thought would happen. So yeah, again, it was a, a good hard race for for us um and it's some exciting racing there with some some names like macy stewart coming back through the through the ranks which is really great to see she's uh, had a great tour obviously taking it out but i mean like she she delivers she rides her bike hard every time she steps on those pedals and it's just a great great um great challenge to have out there and some good hard honest racing so it was a good stage for us yeah yeah it was a strong group of five that went off the front there was uh in the, in the end, they did last at the finish. It was Macy Stewart who took the win from Charlotte Lucas, uh, then Justine Barrow, Madeline Fashnacht, and Kate McElroy as well in that group. 
what was what was the um what was the thinking in the peloton behind i mean i know you were you were yo-yoing well you were kind of between the two groups <laughs> yes, not yo-yoing flavor of the yeah. flavor of the tour really for me wasn't it um uh, <laughs> yeah i think i think as soon as we all had our gc contenders um up the road obviously yeah that was a strong strong break so um yeah again i sort of found myself in the middle for a while sort of surfing between the peloton and off the back of that break um and then yeah essentially we were quite happy to to let kate stay out there because obviously she was our our main gc contender and um we were quite happy to to not have to i guess obviously bring her back because she was up the road and macy was always going to be a big threat and her and charlotte lucas had a fantastic ride to get back onto the the three that got away on the climb so um yeah look i honestly think played out it wasn't really a huge concern to bring it back for us obviously and some of the other teams that missed the break yes of course but i think holden were probably one of the few teams that were really driving that that peloton from what i heard um to bring it back yeah high five i think as well were working um pretty hard so yeah i think they were surprised um that they weren't able to bring it back at the end of the at the end of proceedings there but you know a, a bunch of uh five strong riders is gonna it's gonna be hard to bring back in that sort of situation um and that set it up for stage four which in both races was a thoroughly interesting stage um we'll go to the men first because stew hasn't spoken for a while and uh we'll we'll get into it there um Basically, it started in the afternoon and it had, already, it had already been blowing a gale the entire day. And you guys must have been hearing stories back from the road about how the races in Masters and women had been splitting up all over the place and uh, shredding to pieces. Um, what was the expectation of going into the stage? Yeah, look, I think everyone knew that basically the first thing you had to do was start at the front. Um, and I think every team probably got told that. So, um, unfortunately, I, after, having, after having so much good luck the day before... I didn't even exit under the Subaru banner before I punctured. So the race rolled out and um, luckily I waved to, the, uh, to Marty Tobin and let him know that I had a puncture and um, started, proceeded to get back on to start last wheel in the peloton. So um, it was um, chaotic back there. So um, yeah, there was certainly 150 people starting in that crosswind wasn't ideal. Some uh, close calls, I'd say, uh, for the first 5K. Yeah, I saw I saw a bunch of on, on bike footage um, from from that stage, and there appears to be people moving up on the dirt um, beside the road, trying to bunny hop back onto the road, and you know maybe running into some riders in the process. Um, was that was that the sort of thing where you're talking about there? Yeah, look, I think people are, people are pretty desperate. If you just go to the windy side, there was room. I started last wheel, and I got to the front in less than a k, so. Um, and I went around the front of Isoway that were already riding and just slotted back in with Enswiss. So, but um, yeah, there were certainly people taking risks on the on the sheltered side to move up on the dirt. But it's probably not worth it because if you then puncture, you're really going to be in trouble. So, so yeah, it certainly is. But I think it's just you know, like Isoway just uh, set a tempo and they just slowly controlled it. And they just main interest that uh, they and we had was just keeping ourselves out of trouble and not having any crashes really for the first section because it was really just initially just a bit of shadow boxing anyway. So we, it was with a bigger field. I don't think anyone wanted to ride hard enough to split it so early because you're going to have to keep riding the whole way. So it's more just about maintaining control. Yeah, that made sense. Um, I will say that it wasn't only the riders 
um, who had trouble passing. I, I was in comms two for that one, and normally comms two is out the front. But for some reason, um, the riders decided to all line up about 20 minutes before the race, so they didn't have the opportunity to get through. So uh, we just, well, the driver decided to go cross cross country, um, Ian Ma, and and that was some of the most perilous driving I've ever seen in my life. I thought we were going to flip the car as we went all over the side there and into the ditch. And yeah, it was some hairy stuff anyway. Um, enough of my experiences. <laughs> back back to the road. Um, it was it, it was one of those races where they seemed to not want to let a break get too far up the road um, at any stage there, Stu. I mean, it, a number of attempts were made, uh, but nobody really was given any much too much rope. Yeah, ISO A rode with great composure. They just mainly used two guys. Um, and they really use those guys to their maximum because the further those two got, then they still had five other guys to really light up the race late. So, you know, something I've looked at, you know, and done over the years as well, you know, you really use those two guys till they're just completely gone. And then, you know, you got five fresh guys to really split it later on. And I mean, they, they just stuck that simple formula. Um, you know, they didn't go that hard over the climbs. They let, um, Jesse and, uh, Liam and those guys uh, and Ben Hill race for the, the KOM points and uh, they just stayed together as a collective. So yeah, no, it was a really mature performance from them. And I think um, after getting beaten in the last tour, well, which we weren't at, um, they certainly had a point to prove and they did it in numbers. Yeah, I think um, the contributions of Jeremy Cameron and Jason Lee, the two guys who you mentioned yeah. there, um, who killed themselves for the first 60k or so, um, often go un- unremembered, uh, but certainly not by the team members and not by the other people in the peloton because, yeah, you see them really sacrificing themselves. Um, yeah, so in the end, it really came down to the final climb. There'd been a lot of skirmishes on the previous climbs, as you as you mentioned. Um, Drapak, Pats Veg, um, up into those climbs, weren't they? And then trying to launch um, Matt Ross and Jesse Feedenby in particular over the top there. Cooper, after the... After the stage finish and I might, I might put some audio in actually because it's some interesting stuff yeah I mean they took it to us but they did it with one bloke against seven so if you do the math one guy's not going to ride away from seven so I think uh, back to the drawing board and uh, hopefully you know they can put up more of a fight next time so yeah Joe was in that sort of mood <laughs> And I think that was probably reflective, as you said, of that great South Coast um, uh, victory of, of Pat. <laughs> yeah, and uh, maybe a bit of old-fashioned revenge there. Um, yeah, what was so? What was your thinking there? Because they they did that um, same pattern of attack there on that final climb, and essentially there were five ice away guys there to make that split. Yeah, look, I, I think um, I think they did a really good job of it. I mean, they came together as a collective, and they and they did launch and try and set it up to the climb to put pressure on an ice away. But in doing so, they also took the KOM jersey. So they didn't walk away empty-handed. And, they, you know, they threw down. So, like, they weren't, if they just sat back and waited to, to, to get beaten in the, in the crosswind, um, you know, they, they're still going to walk away empty-handed. So, yeah, I, I, I reckon they did a good job. Like, in the past, we've had a, I, I feel like we've had a different sort of climb where it's just been the climb. But to be fair, I, I was pushing the same what's on the flat into the climb as what I was pushing on the climb. So... I was certainly managing my effort to start the climb because I knew then you still had another three and a half minutes. So it was effectively almost doubled the climb. Well, definitely got something out of it. It kind of all came back together after the climb. And then 
uh, Isaway just got together again on that kind of cross tailwind section coming into the finish there and just decided to blow the race up again. And it ended up being, I think it was an eight rider break with uh, four or five of Isaway riders in there. And from, yeah, from that, obviously, you've got Michael Freeberg, who's a very good sprinter in his own right. And he's probably going to be a very good lead out man as well for the rest of his career, whatever he wants to, whatever he wants to do, essentially. He's a very strong rider. And he took out the win there from Liam White from Drapak Pats Veg and Sasha Bondarenko Edwards, who was absolutely ecstatic with the wind. I saw him, saw him and his informed teammates afterwards uh, celebrating there on the podium. They looked like they're having a great time. Yeah, look, it was a really good ride. Um, we 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 lost Liam uh, with a puncture, so he wrote, had to ride back with the help of uh, uh, Smythe and. Um, by the time we got back on, we were just a couple of wheels back from where that when we took that corner and, and Isoway split it. So, and I sort of said to Liam, we've got to go. And, uh, you know, like he just hesitated for a second. If you hesitate for a second, it's, it's gone. And that's what happened was they, they just ripped it. I think it went out to 25 seconds or something like that really fast. And that group had to commit. I mean, we had one in there, um, Tom Robinson. And, I mean, they rode that hard and that far in the gut of it you know, even Tom had to ride. So, you know, he's kind of counterintuitively having to ride to save himself, but distancing Liam. So, um, but he did the right thing. And uh, in the end, we got Liam back to seven seconds. So for us, it was, it was, it could have been a disaster, but um, yeah, we held 10 kilometers and only lost seven seconds. So um, yeah. And, and, and to be fair also, uh, Michael Freeberg's win was really good. I mean, not only for the win, but also, you know, he was running the show out there for them. And, you know, they, they did a really good job. They were super disciplined with how they delivered. Oh, he was the, he was the leader on the road, was he? Uh, I was From the... what I could tell, he was the one calling the shots. So, um, yeah, and like, yeah, I've raced uh, Mike for years. He's, he did a really good job. So um, I could be wrong, but that's, that's, a, that's what I understood. Yeah, certainly a, a very successful tour for him. Won two stages. He won, he won their crit, um, though that was neutralised for GC. Yeah, we'll move on to the women now, and we're talking about crosswinds at the end there, um, Kate, but it was crosswinds at the beginning for, for the girls. Yeah, our, our race was probably decided in the first 5Ks. Um, as Stu mentioned, the, the crosswinds were on from the start. I don't think it was quite as gusty for us at the start of our race as it was for the men, obviously, but... Um, yeah, it caught a pretty much the entire peloton off guard. I think the only team that seemed to be prepared for it were Holden. And, um, yeah, it was just like one of those moments where everyone just was caught caught off guard. A lot of a lot of the women weren't in the right position at the start. They sort of, you know, the day before we'd had a pretty easy rollout of neutral, so everyone was a bit more relaxed. And then next thing you know, it's in the gutter and it had split into about four different groups, I think, before we even made that first right-hand turn. So... I was fortunate that I was up the front um, c covering some moves at that point. So I, I wasn't too far back, but yeah, I looked back and um, we unfortunately lost one of our teammates quite early. She was caught off guard. And I think with that and the combination of the tired legs the day before, um, there was some massive splits. And then, yeah, we had the unfortunate um, event of a, a puncture. So we were lucky we got through the whole of stage three with uh, touch wood, no mechanicals. And then we had our one puncture um, hit us right at the sprint, which was when it split. And that puncture was unfortunately um, suffered by Kate. So our GC rider and, it was just one of those moments where you turned around and you could see the brake going away and Kate's chasing back on. And 
was in stage and so Ella and Ella and Taryn did a great job to bring Kate back up to the peloton but by then the break was you know a minute plus up the road I think it was about a minute 30 at that point and that break had Macy Stewart in it and a lot of the other GC contenders so it was just pure bad luck but I, I, I can definitely say that you know we did everything we could um Ella did what she could went by to drag um, coach and, or sorry, Kate, I should say, and Taryn back up and then poor Taryn got a flat and then I turned around and thought, right, I'm 24Ks in and I'm the only one left here. So (laughs) um, that meant a long, long, hard day on the front for me. But, um, yeah, we we then basically just had to try and drive it and the aim obviously from from the get-go was to bring that break back and, you know, we got it in within a minute of the first climb and then um, shelled a lot of the peloton over that climb just purely by chasing so hard. And then my job was just to help um, Kate conserve as much energy and I had to you know tell her a few times she was getting pretty anxious because that break just sort of lingered at two and a half to three minutes for the entirety of the or the majority of the stage I should say until that last climb and I just said to her you know don't touch the wind and until I blow because it's going to happen eventually Um, and then when it did she she put in a superhuman effort we had about four passengers that were just sat on the entire day through no fault, obviously, except that they were represented in the break. So that was their job, you know, so we couldn't exactly ask them to contribute. And then Kate brought about, I think, in the space of what was about 10 kilometres from, from my reports, if not um, a bit quicker than that. It's bike racing for you, really. Sometimes it goes your way and other times it doesn't. But I think we, we definitely showed we went down fighting and um, it was purely some really ill-timed uh, mechanicals that, that cost us the jersey. Yeah, it was some of the worst luck I've ever seen because, <laughs> I mean, even if um, Kate had gone down, um, it had been away and missed that break, um, most of the time you'd have had four riders left at your disposal to help chase that chase that move back. But um, with, Tar- with Taryn uh, puncturing there and Ella had been yo-yoing on and off the back all day uh, with her own mechanical issues, it was, yeah. We didn't have Sophie, so yes, it was you know me. I I sort of tried to look at it in my my head. I'm like, okay, this is going to be like five time trials back to back. Let's go. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we talk about the superhuman effort of of a strong player, you know, with their five five man and seven man squad. And I, yeah, it was a one man band for us, unfortunately. But um, I think yeah, we we proved that we we had the same determination. That's for sure. And it was a very odd dynamic there coming in towards the end um, because the group up, up front must have started looking at each other for for that stage win because by that stage, uh, um, Macy Stewart and Madeline Fashion Act had garnered enough bonus seconds uh, out of the climbs and out of the sprints to have uh, displaced Kate even if she did come back. Um, so they they would have been looking at their breakaway companions and behind you've just got Kate McElroy just absolutely steaming from behind and she brought she brought it down from three minutes 20 um just before that final climb there which was about 20 k's to go and then coming into the finish I think it was 30 seconds on the line or something or something to that effect which moved her up to third on GC which probably saved the tour in a lot of ways from from your guys perspective yeah, we were actually a bit surprised because when we um, when we checked the results originally, it had her at fourth by one second. So her immediate reaction was she was absolutely gutted, as you can imagine. And, you know, then she started questioning like, oh, if I had have been, you know, gone five watts harder here or if I had have gone a bit earlier here, et cetera, et cetera. You always start guessing what could have been. And 
And then, yeah, well, she got announced that she got the most the most aggressive, I'm going to say, for lack of a better term. She got that jersey and then next thing we know, they'd caught her up for third on the on the GC. So, yeah, it was definitely, you know, you obviously always want the top step, to pick, particularly when you're defending, but it, it definitely saved the tour for us, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was unfortunately the, the look on poor Ashley and Kudinov's face. Um, she, yeah. she thought she'd taken third. And she I know, and we did too, to the point where we asked, uh, we were asking Tom Reynolds and the officials, can we just have a look at that sheet you've got there? Because, um, yeah, it was one of those cases where the live results online didn't reflect what was on the paper. But at the end of the day, you know, and Ash agreed that you can't, you can't go against what the, the official word is. And um, it was definitely a close, a close tour, that's for sure. Who, which of the riders that really caught your eye from this um, thing? I mean, obviously, the winners obviously have to take have to take the pride of place. But um, out of the rest of them, I mean, who's really um, stepped up in your in your mind? Um, from from the men's, I was really impressed with uh, three three people, uh, apart from ISO Way, which was obvious because they were one, two, three, four on GC. Um, one would be uh, Toby Orchard, who uh, won the sprint jersey. He didn't just win the sprint jersey. He, he he had to be strong in other areas too, and I think that probably was is probably not highlighted enough. You know, like he he's in a smaller team that are doing a really good job, but um he's not getting that that opportunity to have a strong lead out. So to do the ride he did to get the results he did and ride well, um I think was a big step up for him. Um obviously Ollie Smith, which I alluded to earlier, um and then um. Uh, my, I could be biased because I coach him, but uh, Liam McGuinness, you know, he punctured uh, the first time up Tamanac Gap just as they were hitting the hill. He stopped. He uh, got a wheel from the team car. We left one guy with him in the block tail wind and he, he rode himself back on, back onto the front. Um, basically, he rode through every group by himself. He dropped everyone else. That's, that's the reason why I only left one there because I knew if we, if we waited with him, he would just ride away from us. So we waited for him in a bunch. So, so yeah, so his was a huge ride to come back. Yeah, certainly very impressive, um, both on the time trial and on the and on the criterium stage as well. He did a did a uh, great job throughout the tour. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd add anything to that except to just reiterate how great I think Toby Orchard's rise has been. Um, a lot of people have talked about his ability um, and talked about you know what's holding him back and. I don't know if anyone knows exactly what what that what um, what the secret was to turning turning into him into a, an athlete who's now competing at the very top level of the MS. But whatever it's doing, whatever he's doing, it's working for him. So I think uh, there was one stage there after the dirt climb, and we were we were we weren't far off the back, but you know we were probably 10, 15 seconds off the lead group over the over the climb, and um, that can stretch pretty fast. And he had three teammates that were with him. And they just rode him back on. They didn't look for anyone else to particularly help too much. So I think that's a big thing is, is, is when you're like, it's our job, we're going to do it, and we're not going to look for everyone else to help us. That's when, that's when you're going to start finding results. So, yeah, kudos to him. From the women's side, um, who, who were the people who really caught your eye? Um, yeah, look, I know you said winners aside, but I think the standout, obviously, for the women, I, I think, and this was echoed amongst our our team, is Macy Stewart. Um, she's had a, 
obviously she hasn't had the easiest of runs and it, it's really great to see her back there with the the flame ignited and um the thing i think i admire the most about macy is that she she races her bike and she races it hard and she you know like we saw she got she got over that climb, she got gapped, particularly on the Strada Nera, so she's not necessarily the strongest climber there or the most, I guess, pure climber. But, you know, she was hungry enough that she just absolutely bombed that descent and got back on. And, you know, in both stages, she took every opportunity. Um, and I think, again, like the TIS women's team were, were a standout. Obviously, they took out teams classification. But I think the thing that that surprised um, most of us about them is that they all, they all ride really hard and they, they have no fear. And I think that's such a, a really a nice thing to see within, within the sport, um, you know, women that are really willing to put it all on the line for a result. And yeah, I think that that was probably the biggest standout, but I think the other, the, I'm going more, I guess, on, on team performances rather than individual, but I think the total rush team did a really great job this tour in that they, um, you know, they were re- represented in the breaks. They they initiated the breaks. They were they were hungry for that. You know, they obviously didn't have the the strongest team on paper in terms of TT results, which ultimately dictated GC. But you know, in saying that, they they then took the opportunities on stage three and four to be to be represented and um, make amends for that. So I think they they had a really good tour, and they're relatively. Um, new squad in that they all haven't ridden together that much from what from what I can gather so it was really nice to see their cohesion on the road and and each and every one of them giving it a go and doing their best to to work to their strengths to get for the benefit of the team so I think the overall teamwork was a really good um really nice thing to see with this tour amongst most of the most of the women out there on the road yeah very true I just want to you know reiterate what you said about uh, Macy Stewart there. Um, obviously, Madeline Fashion Act as well, the other young rider from TIS, did an absolutely amazing job. Um, just a quick note on Macy. Um, she says she's got a pro contract for next year. So we'll see where that takes her. Um, you have to imagine definitely does not pro- surprise me, and I, I congratulate her because I think, yeah, you'd be crazy not to snap her up. She's uh, an absolutely phenomenal athlete and a great a great character. So, yeah, congratulations to her. That's That's fantastic news. Hey, Katie, what did you think of Georgia Whitehouse's ride? Georgia Whitehouse, yeah, I think that was that was a great, great crit we saw from her, obviously. And, um, yeah, she's just taken it by by the horns as well. Like, you know, she obviously had a great crit. She found herself in the, the sprinter's jersey. And next thing you know, she's sprinting up to with the the country's best and i think it was it was really great to see she she definitely gave it a gave it a huge crack and she wasn't intimidated by you know having to line up against say the likes of kimberly wells and even having ash and kudinoff on your team you know so i think there's some very decorated riders in the peloton but yeah it was great to see that she she was so ecstatic when she won that crit and she was like oh it wasn't the plan you know but Mm. she's she seems very honest and excited to be there so yeah kudos to her we were all taken by surprise we're like who's this georgia where did she come from? Yeah, and she she backed it up with the Sunday ride too. I see. Yes, yeah, she, definitely. She managed to survive survive more than most. Yeah, I think she did very well. So yeah, another another great aspect. There was a a lot of fresh faces this tour to the point where we're all commenting that we didn't recognise half of the peloton. So it's great to see some fresh fresh blood in there, giving it a red hot crack and mixing it up. It's great. Mm. It's worth it's worth noting that that crit that crit win was. Um, Outstanding for another reason as well, because everyone was talking about Beck Wyzak and her two-lap flying move, which everyone knew that she was definitely going to do. 
and it didn't happen. Um, she she was well marked by a number of teams there. I think every I think every team had from the manager going into that one and it was in the end it was Georgia Whitehouse who slipped away with that with that one lap to go and managed to hold it away to the line so yeah it's it's good to see surprises in racing I mean it, it's it's good if we feel smart on the sidelines um after predicting something <laughs> like this but I, I always enjoy the surprises the most of anything mirroring what Stu was saying about you know racing your bike and the ability to perform it's not all about numbers and I think we we definitely the crit was a an exact display of that in that, you know, you, you may be the strongest um, woman out there, but if you're, you're not necessarily the craftiest or if you don't have the ability to read the race, um, then yeah, someone else who's very opportunistic uh, can, can take it. And we saw that in the crit from Georgia. Great. Um, I think we'll leave our discussion of the Tour of King Valley there. Um, I think we can all agree we had a good time, <laughs> but we'll move on now to other topics. Okay, and we're back just discussing the world of cycling now, and more importantly, uh, the world the world of Aussies. Well, Aussies competing in the world of cycling. I think I got there eventually. A um, few um, interesting uh, notes from our various development teams. It was the Tour de l'Avenir uh, over the last week or so, and good results for our youngsters. I know, I know we'd uh, held a very high regard going into the Tour de l'Avenir, Stu, and names like Lucas Hamilton, Jai Hindley, Michael Storer, they're all up there. Um, they didn't take maybe that elusive victory, though, that we've been hoping for um, of an Aussie getting up in the Tour de l'Avenir. Yeah, look, I, I guess it's a hard one. It's such a, a highly sought after. Um, and, and Lucas has been on all year. Like He's really done an amazing, amazing job this year. Um, so, you know, like as much as we would love to have seen him win the Tour, I, 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 <laughs> I couldn't uh, expect them to to necessarily take that one out after, you know, uh, the Baby Giro and Tour of Alsace and, and all the other races that they've won as a unit this year. They've been really amazing, that group. So, um, yeah, I, I think big props to them for this year. So I think we've seen that too with some of the other riders, Nielsen Paulus and some of the other guys that have been favourites have just had such a long year. Um, and bear in mind, these guys are, you know, a lot of them are 20 and 21 and they've probably been away since uh, February. Uh, it's a it's a certainly a long season. Yeah, um, we were speaking about the Russian rider Pavel Sivakov as well. He was the massive favourite going into that race, and yeah, he, he ended up winning one of the stages by three minutes, but he wasn't there on GC. Um, so it, it it does show that you know it is it is actually quite a season for these young guys, and perhaps we you know, don't realise that it's you know not all down to the Tour de l'Avenir this stage. The scouting goes a lot more extensively than just one race, and I think we should see a lot of those um, young rider, young Australian riders making their way onto World Tour teams. Um, though maybe less if Cannondale Drapak um, do go down, because there'll be a lot of riders looking for contracts there. Um, Kate, um, you're obviously you're a coach for FTP. Um, what what do, you, what do you see as you know some of these important markers uh, for a young a young athlete in particular? Um, yeah, look, obviously, I think you know it, it, as we've all alluded to, the numbers is definitely a 
a big factor, but um, which obviously flags the potential, so to say. But I think the biggest thing with developing young talent from, you know, the mature age that I have of 27. Um, but I think that the biggest standout for me is that um, someone that displays balance and a level head from a young age um, and not necessarily coming into the sport from a junior rank um, is always beneficial. Like I think, you know, having that balance and that ability to to have a very good, um, what am I trying to say? Self-awareness is, is a big thing for athlete development. So you can have all the, I guess, all the power under the, under the hood in terms of having, you know, solid numbers and that potential. But if you're not able to harness that and cope with the demands of, um, with racing, I think then that's when you potentially become unstuck. And I think, you know, we've seen, for the boy, the guys that have gone on to to go to world tour, and I think like obviously through FTP, we've seen a number of athletes um, come through the ranks, like the likes of Jack Haig and Chris Hamilton. And you know, I've had many a conversation with with Mark Fenner about you know what what makes a great world tour athlete, and I think their ability to to stay calm and just their meticulousness in their, their training and just that that absolute drive of wanting wanting it and wanting to do everything that they can to to get there. You know, they don't take any for granted so I think there's a lot of factors that come into play but I think it's definitely the the overall um, package of the athlete not just what what they can put out on the bike yeah that brings me to an interesting point actually um because when I was we'll now move on to the women's development team which is um, just done their last race I think for the season uh, the GPD Plue. their best performer there was Lucy Kennedy who got up in that second group there and was you know, only 30 seconds off the winner's time there. So she's shown herself to be doing a good job. Um, but I've heard that they're going back to some of those, those old school tactics that, um, that Marv Barras has been uh, a proponent of in the past and really trying to toughen them up for that, for that, um, for, which is sometimes life in cycling. Um, what's your opinion on that? Cause it was infamous, infamously called the death camp in the past. Um, yeah. Stu, obviously your wife was a part of, was a part of that. Gracie Elvin, um, was, came through that system. And, uh, I've, I've read things from her suggesting that she experiences the right word. Um, would you expand on that? Oh, uh, look, I, I, I think, it, I think it, uh, it's one pathway and it, and it can actually be good for some athletes at the right time. Um, I think it's different after the first edition because everyone knows what to expect. So it's really, really hard to get the same thing because um, I also coached Kimberly Wells when she got the Amy Gillett scholarship through that. And um, we knew exactly what to expect so we could prepare. So I guess when the first group went through, they didn't have any of that knowledge. But um, for Gracie, it was a family holiday. They did worse stuff than what the camp did, uh, you know, on their, on their Christmas bushwalks. So, um, so she, re- she relished it. She loved it. Um, she'd go do that for fun. So, uh, but certainly, um, she, she was not known in the cycling scene at all and uh, neither was a couple of the other girls. And so without that opportunity, she wouldn't have got a, a start with the AIS that following year. And, and that following year, um, you know, six months later, she was riding the Giro. So, um, it certainly gave her a, a, a foot in the doorway. Um, but I, I you know, I'd, I'd hesitate to say that it's the perfect pathway for everyone. It's just a pathway. Yeah, Kate, do you have a do you have a, an opinion? Um, 
yeah, look, I obviously I have never personally done these so-called uh, yeah death camps, so I can't say exactly what they entail. But I've you know definitely heard stories from from women that have been on them. Um, look, I personally don't necessarily agree with it um, in terms of not necessarily that it doesn't prepare athletes, but more the fact that at the time my biggest question was, well, why are we doing this to the women's team and not say the men's under 23 development team? So I think that was a big factor for me, but um, in saying that, you know, they've obviously done their research as to why they took that approach, but I definitely agree with Stu in that, you know, once you hear on the grapevine what it entails, it it was um, something that I personally was working towards last year, but then they didn't end up um, having one of these camps, but it was something that my coach and myself down and said right okay this is what they're going to be doing this is how we need to approach it um so I think yeah it definitely had some merit and it's obviously produced some phenomenal um female athletes so I wouldn't necessarily that is as a result of the the selection process but I think that definitely contributed to um to who who made it through but in saying that you've got all these other um extremely talented women that have well lack of a better word, failed the camp and now look at where they are. So, yeah, I, I'm mirroring what Stu said in that, yes, it's a pathway, but um, it's interesting to see whether they'll they'll go back to that because they definitely obviously didn't have it last year and they didn't have it this year. This year, I think um, it took a few of uh, the women here in the uh, local scene a bit by surprise when we heard that there was this development team and, oh, look, they're already overseas in Europe. It was all very hush-hush. So you look at the selection that they took over this year and they're, they're definitely the, the cream of the crop in the, the national scene. So, yeah, I think there's some some merit to both ways, but it'll be interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, to see whether it changes the outcome long-term as to whether the, if you go through the camp process as opposed to selecting the, the top of the, the selection from the national level. Yeah, I think I think you echo a lot of my thoughts there, um, Kate. Um <laughs> uncomfortable with it mostly because it does seem like an unfair discrimination in some ways against the against the women um though you know there are differences between the men's and female and women's peloton mostly in that level of support that you get um women have to fend for themselves a lot of the time over there in europe and they have to deal with you know a lot of things like you know being alone in a foreign culture and having to deal with you know all the mental struggles that come with that so yeah you can see both sides of the coin but i don't know i I just feel i think uncomfortable is probably the best word with um some of the tactics that they use and some of the meanness that goes on in in these sort of events but i don't know i probably wouldn't be very well cut out for this this sort of thing anyway so for a female road camp (laughs) I wouldn't be able to do half the stuff you guys do. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I cycling is a very cruel sport. So I think either way, we're all we're all going to be tested in our own way, regardless of a camp or not. I, I think it might okay. have today um, too, that camp, because I think the rise and rise of women's cycling is there's more opportunity now anyway. Um, and you see people going to the States and, and to Europe more in, in other teams. So maybe it's it's run its course anyway. Might have been the right thing at the right time. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think if you look at half of our our peloton, they all they all disappear for three to four months each year to America or um or Europe, and you know this has obviously been some discussions as well that 
America sort of, I guess, wasn't a factor in a lot of lot of race calendars for a lot of the women here. It was always, oh, you need, need to make it to Europe. But I think if you look at the likes of Beck Wazak and even Kendall Hodges and, you know, Loretta Hansen, like they went over and did the, the crit season over in America and then they've signed, a, signed pro contracts at the end of that with, you know, Loretta going to UHC and Kendall um, to Colavita. So I, I think, yeah, Stu, you're 100% correct there that there's so many opportunities for women nowadays that um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the be-all and end-all with a national team. Well, thanks, guys. Um, we've gone far too long. I've just looked at the clock and uh, <laughs> and we've, we've covered a lot of ground here. So thanks thanks for being part of this. Um, I think I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, having the two of you on. And I hope you hope you got something out of it as well. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for um, having us, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> okay, great. Great to have you on your first podcast, you. Um, it's been been pleasure as always. Okay, um, you can of course have a chat to us, follow us, find us all on Twitter. Uh, Kate, you're Kate Perry ninety, I believe. That's it. Yep, yep. Don't me- yep. get me confused with the other Katy Perry, please. <laughs> Yeah, she's got enough followers already, that one. Um, Stu, uh, are you an active um, Twitterer? I, I do have a Twitter account. I don't use it as much as my Instagram. And, um, of course, you can find Breakdown Podcast at Breakdown Pod on Twitter. Though I won't be anywhere near as active as I was on the weekend. I probably sent out a few hundred tweets during during the racing on the weekend. So, yeah, go back and look at some of them. Though. There's some quality stuff in there, I assure you, and uh, featuring some of the some of the people on this pod, especially Kate. I, I had a lot of <laughs> praise for Kate out there. So, anyway, time to sign off, and we'll hopefully catch you around. See ya. Thanks, Thanks Jamie.